then we'll jump into our topic on the mission of the church. Oh Lord, you know our hearts, you know everything about us, even our sin and our shortcomings, and yet, oh God, we are humbled by your love for us. We are so thankful for your mercy toward us. We are thankful for the body of Christ, the the family of believers, that we can meet together and grow together and edify one another and stimulate one another to love and good deeds as we journey to glory together. We all live in this world with many, many distractions, not only from without, but even distractions from within our own hearts. And, oh God, we thank you for the beauty of the design of the church. Thank you for the gift of the meeting of the church, the saints, the people, the believers that you have brought together. Increase our love for one another and our love for you and our love for the gathering of the saints. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. You have the outline there in front of you, and what we're going to do this afternoon is a little bit different. It's a little bit untraditional for a two o'clock family Bible hour. I'm going to teach for a little bit here up front, and then my dad is going to come up, and he's going to share a little bit of of, uh, how the mission of the church has remained unchanged in all of the years that we've been around at Christ Fellowship for 12 years. And then we're going to sing a little bit together because there are some great hymns of the faith that talk about the body of the church and body life and encouraging one another. So we'll get to sing and benefit from that. And then we'll conclude with the time just praying to the Lord together, asking that he would increase our love and our fervency for one another. But the outline that you have there, you can sort of use that as a guide for the opening time that we have today, talking about the mission of the church, who we are and what we do. If we were to open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, I'm just going to read this one verse and and use it kind of as a launching pad. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, let all things be done for edification. And that's right in the middle of a section dealing with church ministry, spiritual gifts, and the corporate meeting of the church. Let everything be done, everything that we do, be done for the edification of the flock. Now, if you would go to the slide up here, what is the mission of the church? I know that you're aware of this, but let me read it, and perhaps you know it by memory. Uh, Why do we exist? Well, we exist to glorify God. We do that by preaching the word. We do that by evangelizing the lost. We do it by discipling the saved and by obeying Jesus Christ, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you think about a mission statement of the church or a mission statement perhaps of an organization, the mission statement defines a purpose. It defines a calling. What does the church care about and what direction is the church going in? And these answers should all be contained in the mission statement of the church. 
One contributor, William Craig, was writing for Forbes, and he said, Mission brings clarity and awareness and engagement and improvement and achievement. Well, he's writing for a secular organization. The church is not an organization. It is the body of Christ. But if that's the case for a secular organization, how much more is it for the body of Christ that a mission statement needs to be constantly put before us so that we have clarity and awareness for who we are and what we are to be and what we are to do as the family of believers? We have to know who we are and what we are to do. And I know I've preached on this before. We have taught on this before. It is so vital for us to be reminded of it because if we're not careful, we can veer off course so easily. The mission statement of the church really sort of becomes the guardrail for the church because we can slide. We can veer off track. We can can deviate from the mission of the church. And if we're not careful, It can happen regardless of whether a church is successful or if a church is struggling. A church can veer off track. And how do you get back on track? Well, we have to return to the mission of the church, the mission of the church. Now, here's how important the mission of the church is. Here's here's how important it is for us to know who we are, why we are here, and what we are to do. Listen to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1, verses 13 to 20 says that Jesus is walking amidst the churches. And not only is he walking in the midst of the churches, but he's holding the pastors in his hand. So we we need to know what a church is. And we need to know what a church is to be and what a church is to do so that we can honor the one who is walking in the midst of us. In Ephesians 1.22, we read that Jesus is the head over all things, and he is given to the church. He is Lord over all, given to his church. We don't do things our way. We want to do things his way. As we've been reading in our book, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the church is precious because God has purchased the church with his own blood, we read in that wonderful verse, Acts 20, 28. Even this morning when the elders were meeting, we're studying 1 Timothy together, and we were in chapter 3, and it says the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. That's what the church is. It is the place where truth is found and where the truth of the gospel is contained and protected and proclaimed. So to remain faithful to the mission of the church and to remain faithful to biblical truth, can I just share with you what we as elders are committed to and what we're all committed to? We are committed to people, not programs, ultimately. We're not saying all programs are bad. We're not saying all programs are evil. But the main driving focus of the ministry is people work more than programmatic work. We're also committed to spiritual growth more than numerical growth. What drives what we do is not how can we get more people in. What drives what we do is how can we edify. And how can we strengthen and how can we build the people of God who do gather? We are committed to edification, the building up of the people, more than the entertainment. We are committed to the pleasing of God, not pleasing man. 
We are certainly committed to being holy, not being hip. We are committed to discipleship, not just trying to get more decisions for Jesus. We are committed to the proclaiming of truth, not the chasing of trends. And there are endless trends that are all around and they're rising, it seems, every day. And so we want to be faithful to the mission of the church. We want to be faithful to the head of the church. We want to be faithful to the word of God. Listen to these scriptures. Jesus promises to build his church in Matthew 16, 18. We serve God and we serve one another for the truth. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Paul said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16. Paul said, let all things be done for edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Colossians 1, 28. We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man. In Acts 20, verse 24, we solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. In Matthew 28, we go out and we make disciples of all nations. In Ephesians 1, Christ is the head over all things given to the church. And because all of those scriptures are true, that means we have to follow God's rule book for how ministry is to be done. And that brings us really back to the mission statement of the church that we have set before us on so much of our literature. Now, still by way of introduction, I want to let you know that by God's grace, there are a number of ministry pitfalls that we have not fallen into by the grace of God. Let me just mention a few of them. By the grace of God, number one, we have not fallen into the danger of misplaced pragmatism. Pragmatism, where we, where we sort of give time to, to quick growth techniques, to marketing materials and marketing schemes and all the different location things that could be up. That isn't our agenda and our goal as a local church. We're not into pragmatism, just trying to get results and doing whatever is needed to achieve those results. By the grace of God, there's another ministry pitfall that we have not given ourselves into, and that is arrogant selfism. One of the fastest growing religions is the religion of selfism, self-worship. It is the mindset that the church is for me. Well, I don't like this church. I don't like the way they do it. I don't like that guy. I don't like their music. I don't like their trend. I don't like their style. And they don't suit me. Nobody's reached out to me. It's like as if the church revolved around me. By God's grace, we have not fallen into that danger of arrogant selfism. We We want to be preoccupied not with self, but preoccupied with God and preoccupied with his word and with his redeemed people. A third danger of ministry that often can creep into ministries, third, is the danger of doubting scripture. You know, we're just not seeing the results that we want, so we better change our tactic a little bit. And by the grace of God, we have not fallen into that ministry pitfall. We have not doubted God's word. We have not distrusted God's word. We believe in the power of the Bible. We believe in the sufficiency of the Bible and the authority of the Bible. We're committed to it. 
So when we think about the mission of the church, when we think about who we are, why we exist, and why we are here, I want to let you know that our theology drives our philosophy. Our philosophy is driven by our theology. It is our theology about God. Why do we do what we do? Who are we as a church? Why, are, why, why do we emphasize what we emphasize? Why do we do what we do when we gather on Sunday? It's because the Bible, the theology of the word, drives what we do. So I want to ask you to take your Bible for a few minutes and go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, what I hope to do for a few minutes here is share with you and really bring to your attention a passage of Scripture that we have taught on a lot around here, and that is entirely appropriate. I suppose that there's sort of one passage of the Bible that tells us, well, here's who we are. Here's who we're to be and what we are to do. Ephesians 4 is that passage. Ephesians 1 to 3 is all about God's work in saving you. And now in chapter 4, Paul says, Therefore, therefore, in light of God's saving work in your soul, here's how you are to now live. In light of what God has done to save you, therefore, I want you to walk in this way. And one of the early sections of Ephesians 4, Paul talks about the church and body life of the church. And this, in your outline, if you're following with me, are the main headings that we'll go to just for a couple of minutes very briefly. Notice heading number one in your outline. Notice the leaders. Notice how when we're looking at the body life of the church, it begins in Ephesians 4.11 with leaders. And he, that is Christ, gave some, Ephesians 4.11, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. What's so cool about this verse is that Jesus is the one in verse 11 who is giving the leaders to his church. Pastors and teachers are given by Christ to the church. And as leaders, as pastors and teachers, we are to be relentlessly and tirelessly and unswervingly committed to the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. We want to teach expositionally and biblically and theologically and evangelistically and purposefully and Christ-exaltingly, and we could go on and on about how we are to teach the Word. But he gives leaders, notice number two in your outline, This is found in verse 12. If anybody ever asks you, what is the church about? What's the purpose of the church? Here it is, verse 12. Why does God give leaders, verse 12, for the purpose of the equipping of you, the saints, so that you, the saints, do the work of service all for the building up of the body of Christ. We as leaders have a purpose. It's not to be trendy. It's not to be cool. It's not to have a big Facebook following or a YouTube following. Our purpose is to equip and mobilize the entire body of Christ, the whole congregation, the saints. Why? So that you can be a church of ministers, ministering, serving, loving, doing the work of ministry together. 
We as elder shepherds are to pray, we are to teach, we are to equip you so that you do the work of service. So that requires that every member in the body life of the church cultivates the mindset, how can I serve? Who can I serve? How can I serve somebody today? Where can I plug in today? Who needs a word of encouragement today? Who needs an act of service today? That kind of mindset of serving the body of the church. It is people work. Our purpose as a church family is to build up one another together. Verse 13, now in your outline, look at the duration. Well, how long does this thing go on? Verse 13, until... So our job as elders is to equip you to do the work of service so that we are serving one another until, verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith and until we all attain to the perfect knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Well, that means our work is not done. Until we are all perfectly mature, until that happens, we are to continue to do the work of ministry together. And by the way, I think verse 13 teaches that your growth in Christ is directly linked to your local church body life and your commitment to the body life of the church. Number four, look in your outline. Well, what about the protection? So why the church? What's it here for? Well, verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, there's plenty of, plenty of dangers out there. Verse 15 gives us the focus. We are to be speaking the truth in love and we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is Christ. We, we are to grow up into Christ with respect to all things. And then verse 16, well, how does that happen? I love the involvement in verse 16. You read it and you, you just can't miss it. The whole body fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. That means every member, every Christian, every saint, every blood-bought child of God is called by God to serve one another in the body life of the church. It causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So there shouldn't be spectators that are sort of sitting on the top row of the stadium, sort of watching the game take place down below, but rather every church member, every Christian should be on the field playing, involved, helping, encouraging, equipping, serving, giving, ministering, all the saints playing. Nobody sitting up just watching. Everybody's serving one another. Now, one of the ways that this really becomes practical is in the worship service planning, in the worship service planning. When we when we are prayerfully and thoughtfully and intentionally planning the worship services, the goal of the worship service planning is always the corporate body edification. 
That's why when we pray, it's not, oh Lord, I pray. It's it's we pray. Why? Because we have our Bibles open. We're exalting our Savior. We want to hear from him through the reading of the word, the teaching of the word. We want to respond in worship together. We want to edify and, and spur one another on as we exalt God and equip the saints so that we can evangelize the lost. So what's so cool about this mission statement of the church is when we gather together, we want to exalt our God together. It's practice for heaven. We want to sing together. It's practice for heaven. We want to pray and confess and adore and thank our God together. We want to hear the word of God. We want to feed on the word of God together. We want to take the ordinances, baptism, communion, together. We want to fellowship and edify one another in good conversations together. We want to go out and proclaim the gospel to the lost together. Wonderful, wonderful portrait of the body of Christ and how we are to serve one another and serve our great God in the body of the church. I love how Paul in Colossians chapter 1, he says, We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And then Paul says, For this purpose I labor, striving according to God's power, which is at work in me. So when we meet together, it's not just a human activity in our own strength. It is O Lord, equip us. O Lord, strengthen us. O Lord, help us to do this for your glory. So if I can remind you of the mission statement of the church, our theology drives our philosophy. Our theology drives our methodology. So why do we exist? What is our mission? Before my dad comes and shares, we exist to glorify God by preaching the word, evangelizing the lost, discipling the saved, and obeying Jesus Christ, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you come and share a little bit? I'm particularly fond of the passage that uh, that Jeff picked, Ephesians 4.11 and following, because when uh, Christ fellowship was in its uh, formative stage, and and literally I'm looking and there may be three or four of you that go all the way back to the the first days. It goes back to March or April of 2011. And um, what Jeff just did, it, it really evidences one of the pivotal commitments of the church, which is comes straight out of the Reformation, sola scriptura. Our authority, our sufficiency, is, is not from human invention or imagination or reengineering or reimagining or any of those things, but what, what has God said in his word? And there are certain institutions that God has created. Marriage is one of them. The church is one of them. I think we can look at our culture and we can see what happens when people abandon the institutions that God has created, and they begin to develop their own strategy for marriage, for their own strategy for church. 
So what happened was, and when we first began to seek the Lord's face with this church plant in 2011, was we, we began, people would come to me and they would say, what, what is your angle, for lack of a better term, they, this marketing mentality? And they would say, there's a lot of churches in St. Louis, and there are, and uh, there's a lot of churches in West County, and there are. And so the, the, the message that they were sort of subliminally communicating was, what's your differentiating factor? And what's, uh, what's your, your niche, you know, that you're going to be pursuing? And, and I, would, I said, really simple, it's Ephesians 4.11. And I would get this glazed overlook because most of the people I'd be talking with had, hadn't looked at Ephesians 4.11 recently. But what Jeff just did is he, he exemplified by pointing out each of the facets of the mission statement. Where do those come from? They come straight from the Word of God. And so we adhere to sola scriptura, the, the sufficiency, the authority of God's word. And, and that's been the mission statement since the very beginning. I, when we first started, um, I filled the pulpit from about May of 2011 until December of 2011, because Jeff was working on his dissertation at the time. And we committed that, that we were going to help him uh, do what he needed to do in L.A., and, and I would uh, do the best I could to keep the, the wheels on the wagon until he came. And so that's, that's what happened from May until 2000, uh, December of 2011. But what we, we did was I had about 16 or 17 messages, and the theme was the master's plan for the church. And it was really based on a book by John MacArthur by the same title. I didn't preach the book. I, I preached the title of the book. But we started by looking at what has God said about the church. And I said, if you were to do a, a search on Google for the word church, you'd be amazed at what comes up, the range of, of answers that you get for what constitutes a church. And so we said, what has God said about the church? And we went through a number of passages, Matthew 16, Peter's confession, and the Lord Jesus promised, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And upon this rock, I will build my church, the, the truth of God's word. I will build this, this church upon myself, because it's Christ's church. And so I remember I pulled up the notes from one of those messages back in 2011, and I said three words summarize what we're all about. Promise, purchase, and privilege. The church, which is being built by our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is, number one, founded on a perfect promise. The promise is, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Purchased at a great price. Acts 20, Paul is talking to the Ephesian elder, and he says it's the church of God which was purchased by the blood of God and privileged to proclaim. So we're not a, an inwardly focused church. We're, we're a church where we're equipping the saints for the work of ministry, the work of service. That's a pretty radically different perspective because in most cases when you walk into a church, you see a mentality that this individual is the paid professional, and so they're the one that does the job, Right? That's not right. The, the, the ministry focus is that our responsibility is to be equippers, to equip the saints. And that also goes to the issue of, of what the composition of the church. It's the saints. It's a regenerate membership. And that's why we have membership where we actually hear people's confession of, of how they came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a baptized membership. But it, the saints for the work of ministry. So who does the work of ministry? You're in the ministry. You may not realize that, but every single one of you are in the ministry. 
And, uh, and so we don't want anyone to go AWOL because you've all been commissioned. You're all, you're all in, you know, commissioned to do the work. And so, but uh, those are the three things that uh, to look at. We're privileged to proclaim. To proclaim what? The message of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we, we looked at Matthew 16. Uh, I was just looking back at some of my notes. We looked at Acts 2, uh, the early church. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the prayer and the fellowship. Uh, we looked at Matthew uh, 16 uh, in terms of church discipline. There are three pillars of a true church in the Reformation, the right teaching of God's word, the right observance of the sacraments or ordinances, and, and the practice of, of church discipline. Those are the three pillars of a, a church according to the Reformation. And then we, so we would look at um, Ephesians 4 and uh, looking at what's the strategy that God has in, in his word for the church. And we looked at 1 Timothy 3 at, at what who is to lead the church and, and what should we look for character-wise uh, in terms of, uh, of who is to lead the church and our responsibility as shepherds. And so we, we really just patiently work through what has God's word said about the church. And so we, everywhere I looked, people were looking for a sort of an angle on doing church and some, some differentiating factor. And we're, we're pretty basic here. We're, we're really simple. We're just, what has God's word said? We're not better than anybody else. We just try to keep it really simple by going, what has God's word said? And we, don't, we haven't veered from that. We, we adopted our mission statement. We adopted our doctrinal statement, which is what we teach. And it's what we teach. We, we don't know what everybody believes, but we can tell you what we teach. And we haven't veered one iota from what we teach since 2011. And so we affirm that. The, the leaders all affirm that uh, on a regular basis. And, and so there's no deviation. There has literally been no drift and I've never been in the military, but I'm told that one of the axioms is you never forget your mission. Why are you out there? What are you seeking to accomplish? And we, what we want to accomplish is to be faithful to Ephesians 4.11. We want to be faithful to the Word of God. And, and by God's grace, not because we're special, not because we're better, but just because God has given us a template. He's given us his game plan, his strategy for church. And we want to be faithful to that game plan, that mission statement. And if at any point you see something that you're not sure about, if you see something that you say, I'm not sure that this fits into the mission statement, come talk to us. We, we want to be approachable and we want to be accountable because we're, there it is in print. That's what we're saying, that we are accountable before God and man to, to, to do with Christ fellowship. So just a, just a brief word. And, and I guess the, the message that comes through is, number one, uh, we're not very original. We, we, went, we went right back to the word of God and said, what has God said about his institution in the church? Number two, we're stable because we, 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 want, we don't want to drift. We want to be faithful because we're accountable to the Lord for what we do and what we don't do. And so we, we want to be faithful. We want to be, uh, we are accountable to God as, as leaders of his church. It's, it's Christ's church. He bought it with his own blood. And we happen to be the local assembly of believers that he's purchased here by his blood. So it's not our church, it's Christ's church. That's why we call it Christ Fellowship church. But uh, so that's just a brief word. And, and I guess I would just simply uh, reinforce the, the proposition that every axiom that you see on our mission statement, we, we have thoughtfully, prayerfully derived by looking at God's word and, and saying, here's the, the plan that God has given us. So you can hold us accountable for that. So thank you. Well, if, if you would, remain, remain seated, and uh, Brandon's going to 
put up there on the PowerPoint a couple of hymns, and you might know some of these hymns. Uh, If you do, let's sing them out together. These were selected because they are so rich. They are so rich in bringing out the, the corporate call to one another. Brethren, brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. What What a great way to encourage one another in these songs. Brethren, we have met to worship, and then we'll sing Beneath the Cross of Jesus. You can stay seated. Brethren, brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Pray with all your power while we try to preach the word. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Brethren, see poor sinners round you slumbering on the brink of woe. Death is coming, hell is moving, can you bear to let them go? See our fathers and our mothers and our children sinking down. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Sisters, will you join and help us? Moses' sister aided him. Will you help the trembling mourners who are struggling hard with sin? Tell them all about the Savior. Tell them that he will be found. Sisters, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Let us love our God supremely. Let us love each other too. Let us love and pray for sinners till our God makes all things new. Then he'll call us home to heaven, and his table will sit down. Christ will gird himself and serve us with sweet manna all around. Oh, for that day when our Savior calls us home to heaven. And Christ our Lord girds himself to serve his people. Oh, for that day. Beneath the cross of Jesus, written by the Gettys. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I find a place to stand. And wonder hath such mercy that calls me as I am. For hands that should discard me hold wounds. 
which tell me come beneath the cross of Jesus my unworthy soul is one beneath the cross of Jesus his family is my own one stranger's chasing selfish dreams now Children called by God beneath the cross of Jesus, the path before the crown. We follow in his footsteps where promise, hope is found. How great the joy before us! Beneath the cross of Jesus, we will gladly live our lives. You know, if you would, Brendan, go back real quick to that last verse. You know, who else can we say in this world these words to and they get it? You know, how great the joy before us to be his perfect bride. One day, no more sin. One day, no more pain, no more suffering, no more temptation. But beneath the cross of Jesus, we all gladly live our lives together. One more song. It might be a new one to you. Really easy to follow. Praise the Savior, ye who know him. Singing those hymns 
And even that last one there, written by Charles Wesley 300 years ago. Saints have been singing that hymn, edifying and encouraging one another. Praise the Savior, ye who know him. Again, we're reminded of the next slide, the mission of the church. Why are we here and why do we exist? To glorify God by preaching the word, by evangelizing the lost, by discipling the saved, and by obeying Jesus Christ, all by the power of the Spirit. Today, we looked at the mission of the church. Next week, we'll look at where are we going? What's the, what's the long-term vision of the church? Which is really quite simple for Christ Fellowship. We want to be a disciple-making church. Well, what does that mean, to be a disciple-making church? Next week, we'll look at that at the 2 o'clock hour. Let's pray and ask the Lord for help that we'd be faithful to our mission. Great God, we are so thankful for the clarity of your word and for the authority of your word and for the power of your word. We are so thankful for the body of believers that you have joined together, not only in Christ's fellowship, oh, how we love the local assembly here, but Lord, we are thankful for other faithful local churches as well, all around the city, around the area, our nation. Oh God, we pray that by your grace, we would remain faithful to the word of God that we would not cave, that we would not veer, that we would not swerve, that we would not give into pragmatism or all the endless trends that seem to come our way. We do ask, O Lord, that you would mercifully allow the elders to hold fast to the word of God so that they will exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. We pray for the older men to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance. We pray for the older women that they will be reverent in their behavior, that they will teach and exhort and encourage the young women to love their husbands and love their children and to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, subject to their own husbands, so that your word will not be dishonored. And yet we, we remember, all of us together this afternoon, the, the great grace of God that has appeared bringing salvation to all people. We are to deny ungodliness. We are to deny worldly desires. And we are to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave yourself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Help us to be faithful to you, O God. Help us to be faithful to your word. Help us to grow in our love for one another, in our laser focus to edifying one another and exalting Christ and then evangelizing the lost. Help us to stay faithful for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.